Welcome to Things That Will Help with Buffy Barfoot. This podcast explores what it's like to be human and how to find tools to feel clear, grounded, and happier. The weekly theme will be simple as well as rich and something you can apply to your real life. The human stories ahead do not negate the hard or the dark, but rather point to the lighthouses along the way. This is Buffy. Hey, everybody. There is a way I've taught myself to see bodies when I'm working with people that has translated into my view of the world. So when somebody comes to me for an injury, instead of getting really small and granular and looking up close at their knee or their shoulder or whatever they're concerned about, I back up literally and figuratively and try to soften my eyes and look at their whole body. I look at the quality of their skin, where it seems like they hold their tension and their overall texture. And and then I walk slowly towards their body parts of concern, but not until I've tried to observe them as a whole person and talk to them as a whole person. And myth is kind of like this, mythology. And I fell in love with philosophy and mythology at a very early age. And I have my dad to thank for this. He shared with me a great fascination with the hero's journey and the investigation of self through myth and story. And I've always uh, been super interested in and curious about softening my eyes and backing up and trying to see myself in the story and see all of us in the bigger story. And so today I want to invite you into some stories and mythology about Ganesha or Ganapati. Um, those name, names are interchangeable. And I first learned about Ganesh in a yoga training many, many years ago. And right away, I felt like I was remembering something that I had known all along. I believe that myths and parables of any kind are stories that simply point us back to self-discovery. They are tools to see ourselves more clearly and kind of like access points. Um, they're not other than us. Like, they're not places for people to worship high on a hill away from our regular life. But instead, they're like keys to unlock some kind of realization that can be helpful in our ordinary days. So whoever you are, and however you land in terms of religion and worship, prayer, or the divine conversation, there's something for you here. The stories ahead are just pieces and parts of us, how to situate ourselves in a very human conversation that is also divine and intertwined, and it's an invitation into a deeper experience. And as one of my teachers has always said, and now I offer to you, you're every character in the story, you're all the parts, and these are just entry points into experiencing ourselves in a richer way. The power of myth is to crack us open more into our own heart and into our own experience, and I'm going to offer these in a really simple and pedestrian way so that we can walk right into them, no matter which direction that we've traveled. So Ganesha did not always look like himself. He, like most of us, was formed and shaped by the things that happened to him. And so here is his birth story. Shiva and Shakti, the divine couple, are married, and they're playing a game of dice one night. 
and Shakti wins the game. But Shiva denies it vehemently and storms out. And Shakti's clever and a little bit sneaky and was able to take him down, but Shiva couldn't admit it. And so historically, they've always had this kind of energy, this passionate tension, like they want each other, but they also want what they want separately, the autonomy and the independence of that and the play of acting like they don't need each other is always a little bit there. And so Shiva goes away to the mountaintop and Shakti stays home. And just a note here that Shiva and Shakti represent the divine feminine, the divine masculine in this story. But those qualities exist in all of us. Remember, each of us is every character in the story. So please don't get hung up on gender or gender stereotypes here. So Shiva, who is pure consciousness, is on the mountain getting a good dose of solitude. And Shakti, who is consciousness embodied, is home taking a bubble bath. Because you know, that's exactly what you do when your husband leaves for the weekend is you take a bubble bath. <laughs> or I do anyway. Um so Shakti is soaking in the bubble bath and she begins to think about desire, what she wants and how she's going to get it. She desires connection and she wants intimacy. She wants relationship and she is the part of us who wants that intimacy and connection. And Shiva, simply put, really doesn't get that. He's beating his chest on the hill, which has its own merit, but is incomplete. So Shakti, out of her own desire, and also to piss Shiva off and prove that she can do it without him, (laughs) out of the oils and the friction of her own skin, her own manifestation abilities, Shakti creates a son. She creates a baby boy so that she can connect and experience relationship. And the boy is, for her, like a surrogate lover. And because in these myths, people never get pregnant or have babies the regular way, out bounds a baby boy. And Shakti is, oh, so happy with herself. And they immediately fall into step and into love for days and days, the baby boy and his mama. And Shiva's still not home. And it's Sunday afternoon, and Shakti wants to take her bubble bath once again. And so she instructs her son to guard the threshold of the home, and then she slips into the warm bath. Just then, unexpectedly, Shiva returns home from the mountaintop. And he does not take good care at all in shifting his energy when he comes to the threshold of the home, and he just barges in and tries to power past the baby boy. He foregoes intimacy and just tries to muscle through to get what he wants, which is entry. He wants entry. He wants to take what he believes is his. So the boy puffs up his chest and he plants his feet more firmly and stands his ground. And he says, nope, you cannot enter here. My mother is upstairs and I am here to protect her. And Shiva says, your mother, that's my wife, not your mother. But the boy doesn't budge. And so Shiva tries to push past him. And when the boy still continues to hold his ground, Shiva called on his crew to distract the boy. And when he did that, Shiva was able to decapitate him. 
And just then, hearing the chaos, Shakti runs down the stairs, dripping wet and crying, No! No! Shiva realizes immediately what he's done, but it's too late. And Shakti collects herself and she looks directly at Shiva and she says, you better fix this. You fix it. You bring him back to life. She threatens him and says that he'll not be getting any love until this is fixed. And so Shiva takes a deep breath and he does something really important. He calls upon his friends And y'all have heard me use the word Kula before, which essentially means chosen family. It's your inner circle, your ride or dies, your people who show up in the middle of the night when you are in crisis. This is important because he asks for help. We have to ask for help. We have to ask our Kula for help and not try and do everything on our own because it never happens in a vacuum, this path. We're all better when we act in concert with each other. And so Shiva calls on his Kula for help, Vishnu, Brahma, and Indra, and they go into the forest to get a plan, to get ahead. And Indra leads the charge. And so the boys club goes into the forest and they come across, thankfully, an ancient enlightened elephant. Indra decapitates the elephant And it's lucky that it is an elephant because he's such a gorgeous creature. And they were going to take the first thing thing that they came across, which is another nod here to Leela, which is the play of the universe, the roll of the dice, the lucky. And so the boys go back home and attach the elephant head to the baby boy's body. And upon this union, he becomes Ganesha. He becomes himself. He becomes the self that he was always meant to be. And so pause here in the story and remember that this is an entry point to see your own story. Where in your life have you been so severely wounded, so drastically changed that you were never, ever the same after that, that you were almost unrecognizable? I can think of several places in my timeline where that's true for me. Certainly when Benjamin died, another when I moved from Alabama to Chicago, and a few very significant heartbreaks that have changed everything for me. And now I can tell you that I am the version of myself that I always meant was always meant to be. I'm always looking to refine myself, absolutely. But the raw material, what I'm working with, is a collage of the things that I have experienced, both good and hard. And then there are things to come, which we can't see yet, and how that plays in. And that's in part the Leela, the lucky, the roll of the dice. Okay, so back to the story. So we have this creature, this awkwardly gorgeous creature that is so himself. And so we start to see the gifts Ganesha offers us, the things he reminds us. He is the keeper of the threshold. He is the beginning of things, the Lord of beginnings. And he provides a deeper invitation into your own story. And so... Just returning back to the Shiva Shakti dynamic and their push and pull for a second and the qualities that they have, Shiva has illumination. He holds the aha, the gasp, the oh, I get it moment. He busts through the door, but he lacks 
intimacy and nuance and listening and reading the room. And Shakti has those qualities. She has an understanding of intimacy. She has the subtle, but she lacks the aha, the lightning rod of illumination. And so we, what we discover here about ourselves and the human story for all of us and how it weaves with the bigger divine story is that one doesn't stand alone. They have to be woven together. Shiv and Shakti are incomplete without each other. And both of them are parts of us. So we need both to be balanced. And like them, I think, we don't always realize that. Okay, so back to Ganesha. He's the figure that invites us in to relationship and into collaboration. He's the collaboration of two things that would have never been matched, but now they are. A baby boy body in this ancient elephant head. Super awkward, but yet somehow perfect. So he invites us to see that however we are put together, wounds and all, that is what makes us us. Our stories help to construct us and teach us and to ultimately point us to our most profound version of ourselves. His belly, his big round belly is full of possibilities so that we can remember that we have a lot of possibilities of how our life can be lived and how we create relationship, intimacy, riches, and story. And I like to think of Ganesha, like all of us, as this living art piece that evolves as we collect experiences. He teaches us to be soft in our own skin and to, above all things, honor ourselves and who we are. Ganesha is an intersection of culture and nature. He guides us to domesticate our whims, our reactive and rash qualities. And then he invites us to construct this artful life of finding the midline between nature and culture, between nature and impulse, and then culture and refinement. And the midline is this place where we find alignment. Ganesha also promises that, that when we approach the mind, the heart, and the body with authenticity, with realness, then we will have our heart's desire, even if it's not what we expected. The alignment with truly who we are reveals this treasure map beneath us. And Ganesh gives us the obstacles we need in order to truly find the deepest desire of our lives. Because we, we know that he's the remover of obstacles, but he also places certain obstacles in our path so that we can veer onto the right path, even if we don't realize that that's the case or that's what we want. So I want to give you a little bit of iconography because I think it's so beautiful and interesting. And again, it helps to point us back to ourselves in the discovery of how to remain in alignment with who we truly are. His big elephant head replaces our small ego with a sense of universal consciousness. So that bigness that's necessary for us to stay in alignment and not get too small and granular in our thinking and he's often depicted on a threshold, a reminder to be soft and to listen to the places in between, the places of maybe, the places of transformation and the possibilities of new beginnings. And a reminder not to rush to certainty 
but to remember that there's so much potency on the threshold in the in-between before we know, before we know for certain. And his belly, his big soft belly represents self-sufficiency. A whole universe lies within the belly, within our belly. A reminder that you have everything that you need, everything that you need. Isn't that such a relief? A reminder to create your own resources from the inside out. He is sometimes sitting on a lotus flower and he rises from the mud to the lotus. So the lotus grows out of the muck and the mud. And that's representing the transformation from obstacles into offerings, from wounds into a place of deep commitment. He is holding a yoke. So he invites us to yoke ourselves to something meaningful, to connection and meaning, something that matters. So you can ask yourself when you're thinking about this, what matters enough to me to yoke myself to? Abhaya Mudra, the mudra of fearlessness, he's doing, it's kind of like the talk to the hand mudra, the practice of not being afraid of what's coming and what rightfully belongs to you. He's carrying an axe because he's the remover of obstacles. But remember, he's also the placer of obstacles. He helps redirect us to alignment and to direct connection. And he rides a mouse. His vehicle, amazingly, is a mouse. Ganesh rides lightly on top of a mouse, not crushing him and staying completely in balance, which is a reminder for us to stay light, even when we have so much to hold. And as you know, we're all holding so, so much. Usually his trunk is reaching towards a ladu or an Indian sweet, indicating that we should turn towards the sweetness of life, turn towards going with the grain, what's being offered. And his trunk, called the Vakratunda, is both raw power and such detailed refinement. Have you ever actually seen an elephant trunk? It's so big and so powerful, but can also pick up really tiny things with such clear detail, with such dexterity. It's, they're just amazing. And so within the world of the trunk, we have this intersection of beast and nature and then this cultural connection and really specific awareness. It is said that if the trunk is pointing down, the channel where the chakras live, the shashumna, is open. And if the trunk is pointing upwards, kundalini is said to be rising. If it's pointed to the right, we have progress on the path. And if it's pointed to the left, we have discernment, or looking for the sweet life, turning towards what's being offered, what's good, what's sweet, what's enough. Hmm. There's so much here, so much to chew on, so many metaphors and places of symbolism and entry points for us to define our own alignment and meaning-making and connection. And I hope you can find something here for you personally. I wanted to give a special shout out to all of my patrons and listeners. Thank you so much for 
being such a special part of this creative process and for supporting me all these years and these episodes um, to create this material. So if you would like to become a patron of this podcast, it's super easy. We'll put the link in the show notes and you can join our wonderful community. And um, I wish you a happy holidays. Thank you so much. <laughs>